everybody. Welcome to an all new Incredipolecast. Today we're going to be talking about our new series, The Incredible Pole Farm, airing on Natio Wild on Saturdays at 10 p.m., followed by streaming on Sundays on Hulu and Disney Plus. We really hope you guys tune into the series and you can check out all new Incredible Casts on Sundays following the shows airing on Nat Geo Wild. And today I'm joined by two very special guests. Of course, my wife, Beth Pohl. Say hello, Beth. Hello, everyone. And I'm joined here by a very special guest, my partner in crime in, ser- in the series, Ben Reinhold, my brother-in-law. Charles, good to see you. Beth, as always, love you. Hey, Benny. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for joining us today. And today we're going to be talking about episodes one and two. The very first episodes we filmed way back in the uh, spring of 2022. It seems like a million years ago because it almost was. It was almost two years ago that we set the tractor to field and started this new series. I have a question. When you first put a series together as a show, you know, you find this series as it airs. Now, having watched it on television, was it as you expected or were you completely surprised by what you saw on television? Beth, you go first. All right. Well, that's a really loaded question, Charles. I mean, for starters, I didn't even know what to expect about building a farm. And so I'm like this farm virgin getting started, no idea what we're doing. And then we've added cameras. And, you know, this is, frankly, your world and and not one that I have inhabited or spent much time in. And so all of it was very new and very different to me. And I had no idea what to expect. I didn't know if we could do this farm. I mean, I believed in us, but I didn't know how we were going to get there other than like we had a vision and we're trying to follow a plan. And we have a crew that descends on us. And what was really incredible is to watch them work at their craft because while they took our diverse and day-to-day activities and the different things that we had going and they were able to craft them and tell a story, um, not just a story of what we were doing, but how and why. And they built it into a really beautiful episode that brings everyone into what was actually happening and tells it in a much more cohesive way that, um, frankly, I look back on and it feels very real and genuine, both in terms of what you're seeing, but also in terms of how we were feeling and the experiences we were having. And Ben, what uh, what were your thoughts? Oh, man. When it, when it comes to the actual building of the farm, I had a general idea of what I was getting into. Obviously, um, things tend to get bigger with you. So I wasn't 100% sure exactly, Charles, on where I was at. But I had a good understanding. As far as having, you know, cameras and the production crew there with us, um, their depiction of the events that I think happened are just great. Um, They really followed our story um, and with us building this farm. Um, I, I don't think 
honestly, I don't think I would have ever thought in a million years they were going to be able to pick up on everything um, that we did and show it so that people could really get a, Beth, like you said, a good grasp on exactly what we were doing. So um, the production crew, Nomadic of Films, shout out. You guys did a phenomenal job um, of really showing reality. And that's really what it comes down to. It, it was straight up reality for the three of us, plus your dad and the kids and the rest of the family and all the animals too, right? Yeah, here, here to the storytellers. Yeah, John, John, our fearless uh, leaders, John and Emily, did a, a fantastic job. So shout out to them. And I go back to that first day because you said that they wouldn't be able to capture everything. And the first day we measured the field. It was the very first part of the episode, but it was also the very first thing that we did. And we must have walked around that field 12 times i mean it was just over and over and over can we get you guys to do it again that was fantastic but we'd like to get a little wider shot or you know we're gonna get out the uh super duper uh cinema camera here and put it on a gimbal so we need you guys to walk around again and then they ended up just using the uh one or two shots of us from one take so I think they just wanted to get us winded or, or you know, get us farm fit. I, I think I think you definitely forgot about the drone, too. We had to do a shot with the drone with us in the field, right? So it was never-ending and relentless, but they wanted to make sure that I think that they could really show exactly what we were doing. And in order to do that, they wanted to make sure they had enough shots. But, yes, without question, Charles, I think that um, – I don't think it did – it, it didn't hurt any of us walking around that field. We both lost a few pounds that day, which I think we probably, me coming off and went winter through like and you a couple coming off co Went through a couple cups of coffee too, really, honestly. But You were just uh, getting energized yeah. for the rest yeah, of the farm. I mean, the, you know, the funny thing is, is you say that, but they never had us do anything like that again. That but was the only thing in the whole series of all the different shows. That's the only time they had us do retakes was that one time when we're walking the field. Either they got better or they were just messing with us and they wanted to, us to do it over and over again. Yeah, I think it's like it's an author, right? When an author sits down at his computer or her computer and wants to begin a story, those opening lines create a picture. And so for the film crew as storytellers trying to bring this world to everyone at home it's like that paper went in and that that first line was written over and over again and I actually like I can really respect that because it's that opening is so important and so I love that they wanted it to be right and they took the shots they needed to make sure that they would be able to make it right for everyone I, I would really like to know though you know, you asked the question to me. I want to ask the question to John and Emily and Jared. We can get them all comment in the comments below. Did they know what the show was going to look like when they started this? Yeah, I mean, we had a fair bit of meetings, and I think that they had an idea of what it was going to be. But to be honest with you, I don't think that they knew how they were, what the interactions were going to be, right? And I was talking to Beth in our last podcast about the known unknowns. And it's like, you knew that there was going to be problems, but you didn't know what the problems were going to be. 
And there were so many things that happened with planning the field, which I think was one of the, of all the tasks that we did over the course of the season, planning the field, I think was the most difficult and was the one time where I was not sure that we were going to be successful. I questioned whether we, we would be able to accomplish this feat. Um, what, what, what did you think having gone through the planting? Like, did you, were you worried that we were going to get it done? He can grow stuff, Charles. Like Ben can grow stuff. Well, I know he can grow <laughs> stuff, but uh, he, planting it is a whole it's different not. thing. Well, and I, I think that's really the thing, Charles, like, the planting end of it, and and I mean, I think you see some of this. You don't see everything that you and I went through during that entire first, you know, round of shooting when we started filming this. I mean, planting the field was one thing, and it was, okay, that's not that big of a deal. But when you actually look at the amount of work to get that field ready to plant – whole nother ball game. So yes, I was thinking to myself, if every project we tackle is going to be this difficult and this challenging, what did I sign myself up for? It was definitely the one thing that we did too, where I feel like they had to cut out so much just because it was so involved. And, and there were so many things that they couldn't even, they couldn't even cover. Um, and, and I think, you know, touching on it, obviously the field was flooded. So we had to figure out that element. But even after you figured out the drain, which, you know, bravo to you to figure out that there was a broken drain tile. And what blew me away about that, too, is when you dug up that drain, it doesn't really come across. But like there was water, like a swimming pool's worth of water that came shooting on the other end of that drain that you just saw it draining into the field. And it was just like just constant flow like a. Like you go to the, you know, when they take, you see the firemen take the fire hydrant off and you see that water pressure shooting. It was like that coming out of there. It was just an incredible amount of water. Yeah. I mean, speaking personally, as an end consumer who generally has always bought produce in the store and drives by the fields and not stopping to think about the logistics of the fields, you don't realize how important those drain tiles are until they're not working. And they're such a, a tremendous aid in so many cases to farmers um, because it went from a completely wet field that you guys couldn't even move the tractor into within, what, 24 hours being dry enough that you could finish the work you had barely started. It made yeah, a huge difference. I, I, I don't I, I don't think it made as much difference. I mean, that was one of the things that they couldn't cover because when when we got the water flowing out of the field, it made a huge difference. It wasn't the standing water, but the clay, the water on top was still I mean, was still like muddy on the top of the field. And I credit you, Ben, because it was your thing. You said, like, maybe we should brush hog this corn. Because it was still like kind of uh, stock standing. The the farmer, there's two ways to chop corn. You can take corn for silage where you take the stock and the husks and grind it all up and then feed that to cattle with the corn cobs and the, the stalks and everything in there. And then there's the where they take it for just the cob. And this was taken just for the cob. So there's all these stalks that were like half half high in the field and i had no idea that corn 
when it, the stalks will hold the water, the moisture to the surface like that. And Ben's yeah. like, let's it's brush all again. Yeah, it's really an amazing thing. Like finding that hole and, and, and digging that up and uh, getting that drain tile repaired so we could get the water to drain off was was huge. Um, the, the other thing, though, too, by chopping the corn, we were able to allow that sunlight to get down to the ground, right? And sunlight does an enormous amount. Sunlight, wind, those things dry up dirt very, very quickly. Springtime, I always love the springtime in the industry that I do because we always know we're looking forward to better days every day that goes by. There's more sunshine, longer days, and then you get the winds that help dry everything up. In the fall time, it's the exact opposite. What we dealt with when we were taking down the barn and packaging up the barn, it's the opposite. We get shorter days, we get rain, and we don't have the sunshine to dry everything up, right? So, you know, the spring is great for that aspect. Um, I mean, kudos to me, fine, for figuring it out. But, man, I'm telling you what, brush hog in a 40-acre field with a uh, – six foot brush hog and a rake behind uh, a, a homemade rake behind was no easy feat. And it I was actually, I was, was it, it, yeah, you had the, you had the six foot brush hog and then I had the 10 foot disc and then the, the homemade Haro behind it that we were doing with the field. And we started, I remember we're like, yeah, let's, let's brush hog this field. It was about eight in the morning. And we started and you got on the brush hog and I got on the other one and started plowing behind you. And we didn't finish until four in the morning. No, it was crazy. I looked out at one point and this equipment looked big. The field, I mean, it looks big to me, but it doesn't look like a huge field. And at one point you guys are out in the distance and I look out and you're like little ants with these little teeny baby plows going behind you. And I'm like, this is going to take them forever to do. I mean, in, in the big scheme of things, one pass of six foot was hardly anything when you talked about the, when you would look at the actual distance that you needed to cover to acres. drag the field. It, Thir- it was, like about it was 30, 36 acres worth of field, the plant. And we're doing it six feet at a time. It was crazy. And the other crazy thing, and, and kudos to tra- uh, farmers, because you see them out on the field and you're like, oh, those tractors, they look really comfortable. Like they, I mean, they have air, con- we didn't have cabs, so we didn't have air conditioning, but they look really comfortable in those tractors. The, those seats get really sore. Your butt gets really sore when you spend 20 hours on the tractor driving you're like oh my gosh my back is sore my butt is sore i'm caked in dust like i we were so so dusty dusty. that like you could barely move it was that was a night that was 20 hours i i remember that and then we had to get up the next morning and plant the field you gotta remember too charles like some of the stuff that wasn't even shown in those episodes were us in the middle of the night with stuck tractors because there, there were still some areas in the field that wet. were wet, right? Yeah. So it's like you had to have your phone on speed dial, like between Charles and I, like, hey, come pull me out. Hey, come pull me out, right? Like, that's what we did all night long. Yeah. All night long. And and with the we got pretty good learning how to do it, like get the forks under the disc and lift the disc up and then have the person drive while you're lifting the discs. Um, 
The kids that weren't it happy. Was, it, it was definitely one thing that another thing that I learned that like you just you think you know how to farm and I've driven a tractor. You know, I know how to drive a tractor. I know how to pull implements. But when you've never done it, you don't realize like, well, if I drive really slow and low gear, like I'm pulling a hay wagon with the discs, that disc is going to dig in deeper and deeper and deeper and get stuck versus you kick it in high gear and you drive with the the tractor and the discs and it it cuts the ground but it actually doesn't ever dig in so you're less likely to get stuck so as soon as i started rolling in high gear i was like oh this is how you're supposed to plow a field not on low gear and super slow and high gear super quick you i think your famous words were somewhere along the line where you farm and you learn right you farm and you learn a hundred percent and we learned a lot i think uh you know that was one aspect that was probably the most challenging task of the uh, and and the story of those two first episodes but i think the other thing about our farm was the animals and i i want to turn a little bit here and talk about um of course clovis our rescue dog um he he came to us. He he was an opportunity. We actually were thinking about getting a donkey. It, I think we had uh, talked about getting a donkey prior to the season. And my dad was like, oh, I have this great Pyrenees puppy. And he's a guard dog. And he can, he can guard your animals just like a donkey can. And I said, well, we'd really kind of have our hearts set on a donkey. And my dad's like, don't get a donkey. Get get the Great Pyrenees. So we we ended up going a different way, and we adopted this Great Pyrenees. We called yeah. him Clovis. Clovis. Our our daughter named yeah. him, and with uh, a little help. What's yeah, Mama help. help. Mama help. <laughs> and uh, it it was uh, Beth. What what can you tell us about Clovis having dealt with him? What what do you want to share about that yeah, experience? Clovis is actually a really sweet dog. He has this gentle personality. He barks all night. You think he's very, very vicious, but it turns out he's actually a really sweet dog. He's very easy to train. He just wants to please everybody. And in my mind, he's kind of the, the, a dream of a dog because he is so inclined to want to please. He's pra- he's practically willing to do anything. And so a little treat, a little affection, a pat on the head, and you've just made his day. We've been able to work with him throughout the yard. It took a little while to learn his boundaries. I think the Pyrenees as a breed has a tendency to, well, guard a much bigger area probably than our little homestead and so we had to work through a few of those issues and help him learn that even though everybody goes to other places around he has to stay put Um, but he's turned out to be so great with the other animals as well which was a question right like you never know when you bring a new animal into your pack how they're going to interact with the other animals that are already there and have things figured out He's so easygoing. It's just, it's been really beautiful the way he interacts with the cats. He doesn't mind the the livestock or the peacocks. And he and Nono and the other dogs get on great. So it's, he's turned out to be such a beautiful addition to the farm and more exciting, I think, than a donkey. Yeah, he's, he's been awesome. He does bark all night long. That's the one thing about the Pyrenees. They, they bark all night long, but that's what they're doing their job, scaring away the different predators that are around but um, you you mentioned the cats and it's so crazy because we we have Cleo, one of our barn cats. 
she's super sweet. And the first time I looked out the window and I saw Clovis, he was carrying this cat across the yard and had it full in his mouth. And I thought, I thought he had killed this cat. I thought the cat was dead. I was so upset. I ran out and I'm like, Clovis, what are you doing? No, drop him. And she, he drops Cleo and kind of backs off like, oh, what did I do? And here's Cleo kind of looking at me like, why did you have him? He was giving me a free ride. What are you doing? <laughs> and all the time, it's not just that one time. It's yeah. like I see him like I've seen him like throwing the cat around. And I'm just uh, worried because I'm like, oh, my gosh, he's attacking it. And I'll go running out and she'll be purring. It's it's insane. Those two, they get along and no, no, the goat, obviously. And 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 Clovis, they're like uh, <laughs> peas and carrots out on the deck Our our deck guard dog and our deck guard goat. Um, and it, it's it was really fantastic. I think no, no, actually really enjoys having a buddy on the porch. And the the second animal that I want to talk to you about. And, and I have a question. Uh Ben, is it possible the bees were your favorite animal of this season? Is that is that a fair statement? I'm pretty sure we can take bets that they were not my favorite animal of the season. I was not. Um, <clears throat> one, you guys said you want to get some bees. I was like, okay, I really don't have to be involved in that at all. That's more like your thing. Huh. And then all of a sudden, somehow I get kind of suckered into this. The next thing you know, I'm putting on a bee suit. So, no, bees were not my favorite animal. Clovis was my buddy. Clovis came and he hung out with me at night in the trailer. He was my buddy. Um, Nono loves me. Nono loves me for a lot of reasons. But, man, that that goat, he and I, we would sit out there. And with between Clovis and, and, and Nono, we, I would sit there in the morning. I'm an early riser. And I would um, drink a cup of coffee. The one thing that I would not want to drink a cup of coffee with is the bees, Charles. So we're going <laughs> to yeah, leave the... the bees to you guys, <laughs> you and Beth. Yeah, so Beth, the bees really became your thing. Um, something that became a project. It wasn't originally supposed to be a Beth project. She was, no, that she was, was looking project. forward to the honey, but it just kind of, mm. it kind of took off. What, um, okay, take us through this evolution though. Like, so you got there and you had no idea what those nukes would look like and the fact that they had 40,000 bees in and you were loading them in your car at the time. I mean, to pick the bees up, you just asked me to pick up the bees and I don't know what went through my head in terms of what that meant, but I was like, oh, okay, I'll go pick the bees up. No problem. Abigail and I head off and, um, yeah, come to find out there is a tremendous amount of bees in this little box called a nuke and they just pop it in the trunk and you know Abigail and I are just sitting in the front of the car and the bees are just in the back in a little box with a little lid that just sets on top no security bands no weights no nothing we're never going to do that again just FYI that's never going to happen you're going to wear your bee suit in the car to pick up the nukes <laughs> well I right? think that'll affect my peripheral vision but Abigail is not coming with us again and um the lids are going to be secured for sure. And I'm probably going to have an entire packet of Benadryl because in hindsight, well, the whole time I was doing this, of course, I'm thinking to myself driving down the road, like this has got to be the safest drive home ever because this is so dangerous. There's like, what, 
120,000 bees in the car, 160,000 bees in the car, and one little bump in the road, and pop goes the top. It's a <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, the whole, the, I get home, and I'm thinking, okay, great. Charles is going to take over with this project. And ironically, that's not how things worked out. It seems like um, it went from like a, hey, could you help with this or could you help with that to this new layer of, gee, Beth, you seem to be doing a really great job with these bees. Can you do X, Y, and Z? And so before you know it, I'm like, I'm doing the bees. Yeah, well, you actually kind of got interested into it, right? Like you helped us unload the bees my dad and I like I really did my, r- my dad and I really <laughs> did most of the unloading, but there was like kind of an interest there. But then all of a sudden it was like you became more interested in the bees and you started, I, I would catch you at nighttime. She would read, she'd be on this website reading about bees and she would say, like, did you know this, <laughs> this fact about bees or we really need to do this with the bees or, and, and then it just became your thing. You just started going out and checking on the bees. Like, what was that evolution like that went from kind of honestly being afraid of the bees to being like, okay, this is something I find interesting. And I want to do. Well, I think it started out very much. You guys were working in the field. You were under timelines to get the the hay planted. And so you needed help getting the hives assembled. You needed help getting them picked up. And so my first experiences were really just to be that helpmate to you, to allow you to keep doing the things that were um, also very time sensitive. And I obviously through the course of assembling the hives and picking the bees up have started to learn some things and so then I have this rather almost traumatic experience driving the bees home and being petrified about like what happens if there's a mistake here on the drive home um to kind of being a little bit curious like okay we just brought you know 80,000 bees into the yard like now now what do they do and so it was really through I think my own curiosity about like well what does happen next that it just sort of got me thinking about it and you know I mean the internet's like a library at your fingertips and so off to the library I went yeah off to the library and and you became like our bee expert a resident bee I wouldn't expert. go quite that far yeah no you were a <laughs> bee expert uh, don't sell yourself short I think that looking back on it and wrapping out the the episode the the cookout that we had it really was i think that captured the experience because you know when my friends from california said to me oh you're you're building a farm like what is wrong with you like what what are you doing um and i would say back to him i'd say you know i never slept so well as when i was doing the farm i never it was a lot of hard work, but it was a lot of fun. And then doing it together with you guys as a family and my dad helping us and, and guiding us along the way. Um, I think I had tremendous confidence. By the time we sat down to that dinner and we had finished planning that, that field, I don't know what you th- thought, and I'm curious what you guys thought, but I felt like we're going to do this. We're going to accomplish this. We're going to be able to do farm this this land and not only that it's gonna be a lot of fun so just curious like what were you thinking like there when we were having that barbecue and we kind of just finished planting the field i'll I'll start with you ben thank goodness we made it through this that's what i was thinking i think oh 
And then I was like, holy Jiminy, is this, how is this going to go the rest of the way? Uh, no, there, there, uh, to your point, Charles, yes, there was, there was an enormous amount of, of, uh, of feeling of accomplishment. Um, but on the same hand, it, there was a sense of accomplishment because of the amount of work that went into everything that happened, right? Um, you know, th they showed, I don't know how many weeks worth of work or a week worth of work in 22 minutes. And you and I lived, ate, breathed that bath. You, in addition, you had to deal with Charles and I grumpy and tired <laughs> at four o'clock in the morning, right? Oh, um, you know I love so, it. I know. I know you do. But, um, yeah, it, it was... It was a great feeling to know that we we hit goal number one, right? We're, we got a lot more goals to go and a lot more steps to do this. But, hey, we were able to get goal number one down. So now if it'll rain and that stuff comes up, we're all going to feel better about ourselves, right? So, yes, great sense of accomplishment. I think we all work together as a team phenomenally. Uh, we really do a good job. And... Um, Kudos to all of us, man. Honestly, we we did it. And we did it with not million dollar tractors. Yeah, no Lambos here. No, no Jeremy Clarkson no. Lambos. We didn't even we, have we a ten foot plow. Yeah, we didn't even have we had a ten foot plow, a six foot uh thing, and a tiny little tractor. The ones that Journey Jeremy Clarkson scoffed at. So um I'm looking forward to getting those Lambos though eventually. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh Beth, same question to you. What what were your thoughts when we had the barbecue and we had finished mm -hmm. this first task? I really echo Ben's sentiments. Like it was a tremendous sense of accomplishment, how we were able to come together, all of us, and work as a team for this shared vision. And there were some trials and there were some challenges. And everybody we pulled through, we figured it out, we solved the problems, and we got to this really great state where the field was planted, the bees were in, and we had a moment to just sit back and take it all in. And for me, that like sense of accomplishment, the evening was beautiful. We were with family. It was the, it was the best group. And it was a moment to savor, to look back and just reflect on what we had done, knowing there's a lot more to go, but to just take in that moment and that sense of accomplishment and um, really just rest and relish in it. And it was an important moment because there was a lot more to come. And so that evening of rest and respite and relaxation was essential for uh, the preparations for the following days and weeks. Agreed. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of the Incredible Cast. And we hope that you enjoyed the first two episodes of the Incredible Pole Farm. You can catch new episodes every Saturday at 10 p.m. on Nat Geo Wild and stream it on Sundays on Hulu and Disney+. Plus. We hope you guys tune back in and listen or watch another episode of the Incredible Cast next week where we'll talk about episodes three and four. Until then, thank you for joining us and we hope you have a great week. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, See you ben. next week.